Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. I'm Dan Rundy. Thanks for another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm here today with Doreen Bogdan-Martin. She's the director of the ITU, the International Telecommunication Union's Telecommunication Development Bureau. That's a mouthful, but it's really important. Doreen is the first woman in ITU history to hold one of the organization's top elected management positions. That's shocking to me. During her time as director, Doreen has led the implementation of a results-based management system, improved internal accountability frameworks, and initiated a comprehensive review of reporting mechanisms across her bureau's global network of field and area offices with the goal of creating a more dynamic, responsive, and fit-for-purpose organization. The ITU is a really important organization. It's really old. It's older than the United Nations. And I think Doreen has a critical role in it. And the other thing I just want to say is, is that we need a United States citizens like Doreen to make great careers in the multilateral system. And Doreen has had a fabulous career in the multilateral system. And we need a thousand people like Doreen to follow in Doreen's footsteps. So Doreen, it's a total pleasure to host you on Building the Future with Dan Rundy today. Thank you, Dan. It's terrific to be here. So Doreen, can we just start with what is the ITU and why does it matter? So the ITU, or the International Telecommunications Union, is a UN specialized agency focused on digital technologies. We're based in Geneva, Switzerland. We have 13 offices around the world. And as you said, we are old. (laughs) We're the oldest in the UN system, dating back to 1865. So we've been working more than 155 years to connect the world. And we do that by creating global technical standards for communications equipment and services, by brokering global agreements on shared use of radio communication spectrum. And of course, spectrum uh, is, is what supports wireless technologies from mobile phones to satellites, to Bluetooth, to, to GPS. And of course, through our development oriented work to connect the unconnected people and communities all around the world. Is it sort of like the Major League Baseball Commission for cell phone standards and things like that? (laughs) It is Major League because it is a UN organization. But as I said, it's basically three separate pieces, radio standards, and then the development piece, which is the piece that I lead. But the point is, is that the ITU is a critical institution because it's a standard setting body. The way if you thought about the old VHS tape versus a beta tape standard, you all help adjudicate with through technical committees issues around what kind of standards and how to think about spectrums. And on the development side, you also help countries kind of connect to the world and have the capacity to, to participate in modernity, right? Absolutely. And of course, the standards piece is one of the reasons that we were created back in 1865 when we were focused on the telegraph and telegraphic signals couldn't pass from one European country to another without those essential standards. Right. So this is like there was the VHS beta debate in the 1860s about telegraphs, and there's still a VHS beta debate about things like what kind of 5G standard we should use. 
right? Those sorts of things. Absolutely. Okay, so there seems to be a perception in the United States that American citizens cannot have a career working at the ITU or, or even perhaps other specialized UN agencies overseas. But your own career path is evidence that such notions are misconceived. How did you get started at the ITU? <laughs> so that is absolutely uh, misconceived. Maybe just to start with, we have currently and we have had a good number of Americans occupying important positions in the ITU, I would say our, across our, our three bureaus, Development Standards and Radio. We've also had Americans working closely with us in our different consultative and executive bodies. You mentioned already our technical committees and study groups. We had Julie Zoller, who was the first ever woman elected to chair the ITU's Influential Radio Regulations Board. We later had Joanne Wilson, who was also elected to be part of that board. But turning to my career, well, I think as with many people, my career had had sort of different turns. I came from a science-oriented family, starting first as a chemistry major in university, and then switching to social sciences, taking a break after university, becoming an English teacher in Spain, and then coming back home and going back to school. I went back to school for my master's degree at the American University School of International Service, where I focused on communications policy. And I think I was really lucky because I had some incredible courses. I also had some amazing professors and they got me so excited about technology and of course the impact that technology can have on people's lives, which really you know, drew me to that field. And I was very focused on satellite communications at the time. And one of my professors introduced me to the head of NTIA, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, in the Commerce Department. And at that point, I started an internship, which then became a paid position. And I had the opportunity to work in the US government on regulatory issues in developing markets for a number of years before I then was detached by the US government to the ITU to help the ITU prepare for its first World Telecommunications Development Conference. I was detached in 1993 for a conference that was in 1994. And of course, the, the rest is history. I stayed at the ITU and I'm still at the ITU today. You started as a child prodigy, Doreen. <laughs> uh, well, I started um, in the ITU on the regulatory policy side as part of a team that I later led. And then I took up my function as chief of strategic planning and membership before I took the decision to run for elected office and became then the director of the development arm, becoming one of ITU's five elected officials and the first woman in our 155 plus year history. I get the sense it's a pretty tradition bound or it's an organization that changed, you know, in some ways. There's lots of technological change, but perhaps some organizational change comes a little slower. I think the lack of women is representative of the lack of women in the technology sector overall. We have this huge gender divide, gender digital divide, but it's, it's quite apparent in terms of women working in the tech sector. Well, I really want to encourage young women to look at Doreen's career because she's had a, what you've done is just really, really interesting. What was it like running for office? How did you run a campaign? How did you run for office? What was that like? 
(laughs) It was challenging. It was exciting. And it was also a lot of fun. And of course, it brought me in touch with a number of countries. And I had wonderful conversations, helped me zoom in on, on the priorities that I needed to address When I took up my position, then, you know, there's 3.7 billion people out there that don't have access to the internet. And my mission is to bring them connectivity. And so having those conversations before and during my campaign, and of course today, to find out what challenges they're facing and the ways that we at the ITU can help them was really what inspired me. You've talked a little bit about the different sectors of the ITU And you've also talked a little bit about the Telecommunication Development Bureau, the BDT. Could you talk a little bit about some of the ways that you you all do your work at the BDT? So as I said, you have the radio piece, which is working on spectrum, also on the satellite orbital location. So we do those orbital assignments for satellites. That piece of the ITU is treaty-based. So there's all this technical discussion that happens. And at the end of the day, At our World Radio Communications Conference, the resulting outcome is treaty-based. And then we have the standards piece, as I mentioned, that focuses on these global technical standards that are developed in our technical committees, our study groups. And there the focus is on interconnection, interoperability, and ensuring that equipment made by one vendor can interconnect with another. But the development piece, which I think is the most exciting piece, is really all about devising and implementing strategies to bridge the digital divide and to connect the unconnected. And the creation of the BDT actually goes back to the first half of the 80s when Sir Donald Maitland was commissioned to do a report on the digital divide. So he did this report that was called The Missing Link. And in his report, he found that three quarters of the world's telephones were in just nine industrialized countries and that there were more telephones in Tokyo than in the entire African continent. And only 8% of the global population at that time had access to a fixed analog telephone line. And in his report, the Missing Link report, he made this compelling case for universal connectivity as an essential foundation of economic and social prosperity. And that report then led to one of our plenipotentiary conferences in 1989, instituting the creation of this new arm of the ITU, which is the Telecommunications Development Bureau. And I would say our mission today, and we think in the sort of COVID context where everything was basically shifted and moved online overnight, I think our mission to connect those 3.7 billion people has really never been so important. And so what we do, let me just maybe focus on kind of six main focus areas in terms of our work. So we have a policy regulatory focus, and that's really about helping countries put in place the enabling environment that will help them to attract the investment and to roll out services. In that context, we have things like the Global Symposium for Regulators, something that I created way back when. We just celebrated the 20th anniversary of that symposium. But it's an opportunity where all the world's regulators come together and they discuss certain topics and they launch a set of best practice guidelines. So it's a great opportunity to draw on the best expertise and the best minds in the regulatory field. So we have the enabling environment piece. Then we have the capacity building piece, which is also critical. So we do things like technical training. We do digital skills training, cybersecurity, emergency telecommunications, all sorts of capacity building. We have the infrastructure pieces, which are critical. 
We just launched at the end of last year this last mile connectivity solutions guide, which I'm really proud of. And it's very cool because it helps countries run a diagnostic to figure out what technologies they should be using and what circumstances. I would say our sort of fourth focus is on inclusion. So digital inclusion, youth, gender, persons with disabilities. Of course, we have a big focus in all of our programs on least developed countries the small island developing states, and also landlocked developing countries. Partnership is a big pillar. That would be the fifth point I would mention because we can't do this alone. We need all players to come forward. We really need all hands on deck. This is a big undertaking. We've got a lot to do. And of course, the last piece is measurement. Measuring what we do and the impact, but also ITU is the UN agency that collects the ICT statistics. A lot of people don't know that. So in the World Bank or the WEF reports, they're using our data. We collect from the national statistics organizations all of the indicators around ICT development and digital access and use. So that's the last point I would mention in terms of our pillars. So if I want to get some of those reports, where can I go online to get them? So you can go to itu.int and click on development, and we do have a link that will take you to those essential publications, and I'm happy to share them with you as well. Okay, great. If you send them to me, I won't make it a Hulu night tonight and watch The Crown. I'm going to read your reports instead. I'm watching The Crown, too. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think I've done 500 Zoom calls since March the 12th, and I've got like four or five deep thoughts after having done 500 Zoom calls. I won't share all my deep thoughts on this podcast, but one of my deep thoughts, well, I'll, I'll quickly go through them. One is whatever your social capital was on March the 12th is what your social capital is today, because I think as human beings, we can do some stuff over Zoom, but we need to meet people in person. So that's thought one. Thought two is you're going to see tectonic shifts in global supply chains around the rubric of supply chain resilience. Third deep thought is there's been more digital commerce, distance learning, e-government, and digital payments in the last 40 weeks. We're doing this recording in January than in the last 40 years. And then my fourth deep thought, and it's related to what I'm going to ask you is, if you want to have modernity in the future, you're going to need literacy, toilets, drinkable water, electricity, and I'm going to use the word digital. But it seems to me we're going to, there's going to be an enormous explosion in demand for digital infrastructure. And either OECD countries are going to solve this problem or other folks are going to solve this problem. But there's like not one solution on offer today. And so... If I'm the United States and I'm putting on my Team America hat, like we got to get up and wake up and say like, this is coming. In the next 15 years, there's going to be enormous amounts of demand. This isn't just in McLean, Virginia or Geneva. This is in Africa. This is in Latin America. This is Southeast Asia. This is elsewhere. And this is going to get built because we're all zooming. This ain't going away. So That's my editorial comment, and I'll put the question to you, which is, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, some school kids in the world, many school kids, cohorts of children are getting whacked because they have no access to the internet. And this is like a lost year for children in many, many places. You can kind of do school on the radio. You can kind of do school on a smartphone. I got a 10-year-old. I don't know how they can sit docilely, even what they had Zoom, how they sit docilely for five hours on the iPad is impossible. Think about in a developing country and a smaller space, and they don't have different rooms to go to, et cetera. How are we going to deal with this divide between school children with access to the internet and those who don't have access to the internet? And are there some solutions ITU is thinking, putting forward 
to deal with this specific issue of school kids and internet access? Yeah, well, first of all, on your point about digital, I think the UN Secretary General said it really well in July when he launched the Digital Cooperation Roadmap. And he said that digital is now a matter of life or death, of course, in the COVID context. And what we have seen during this pandemic is that digital transformation has happened at a rate that would have taken, I mean, some people say four years, some people say 10 years. But it's been absolutely tremendous simply because communities, people, countries haven't had a choice. Everything went online overnight and we all had to figure out how to adapt and innovate. And when it comes to the learners, some are calling it sort of the lost generation, the COVID generation. I mean, 1.6 billion learners have been affected This week on Monday, it was International Education Day, and I participated in an event with UNESCO and the UN Secretary General. And the focus was on, you know, if this doesn't go away or if we have another pandemic or some other crisis in the future, how can we close the digital divide? Because that's a a key component. And how can we make sure that our schools are sort of shock absorbent and crisis respondent? I do think that we have solutions. ITU has been working on a very bold, ambitious initiative with UNICEF. It's called GIGA, G-I-G-A. And I think GIGA provides a platform to really tackle the problems that we're facing today. It was something that was born at the UN Broadband Commission for Sustainable Development. When we met back in 2019, we met physically and We created a a group to look at sort of who was doing what. And then we launched GIGA in 2019 at the General Assembly. We have 14 countries on board so far. The focus of the initiative, I should have started with that, is to connect every school on the planet to the internet and every young person to information, opportunity, and choice. And so we have 14 governments on board. We're focused on mapping. So first, understanding where are all of the schools in a country, which schools are connected and not connected. We have 800,000 some schools that have been connected. One example we did in Colombia, working with the government, we were able to identify many schools that were outside of the government mapping exercise by using artificial intelligence and machine learning and really helping the government to tackle this problem of trying to figure out where those schools were. So the mapping piece is critical because it helps you figure out, you know, where a, a country or community is. The second piece is all around connectivity. With that, as I mentioned, we have our last mile connectivity toolkit, which will help to identify the appropriate solutions. Financing, of course, is the critical piece. We launched a report last year called Connecting Humanity, where we estimated it would take around $430 billion to close the digital divide. And so if we want to be connecting the schools, you know, how can we do this in a sustainable way? So the GIGA model looks at demand aggregation. So ways to lower the cost of infrastructure by aggregating demand. We're looking at risk diversification to help support leaders in developing sustainable financial business models for universal access. We're looking at ways that market creation costs can be subsidized, ways to incentivize the private sector investment. I mean, the financing piece is really key, and we do need to be thinking outside of the box. And of course, the last piece 
is the sort of empowerment piece, which is what you do when you have that connectivity. It's all of the enabling content in local languages that can be reused. The UN talks about digital public goods. So it's that whole sort of package of content that can be adapted and reused based on what communities are looking for. I would also say that we have some exciting partners that have come on board. We have Ericsson that joined us making a multi-million dollar commitment over several years. We have SoftBank investment advisors that are working with us on financial models. We have Dubai Cares that also stepped up. They're focusing on empowering local entrepreneurs. So it's a great opportunity to come on board for this really important cause and a cause, as you said, that really was so highlighted by COVID, you know, how about all of these unconnected learners? And, you know, we see even in the United States, learners going outside of whether it's a Starbucks or somewhere else just to get a signal or sharing devices. It's something we really need to tackle. And it's critical that we bridge the digital divide so that this doesn't happen again. I'll tell you, Doreen, we're going to have another funny named pandemic sooner or later. I don't wish it. But for a whole bunch of reasons, urbanization, air travel, changes in human diet and animal husbandry, et cetera, we're going to have one of these funny name diseases whack us again. And I'm not really up for sitting in my basement for 18 months and zooming all day long, but unfortunately it may happen again. And so I think we have to have sort of greater resiliency in our societies. But I will also just say, I think the demand from publics all over the world is shooting up and off the charts. This problem is going to get solved. And we can pick who's going to solve the problem, but someone's going to solve this problem. That's my deep thought on that. I got one last question for you, Doreen. I so appreciate you taking your time to be with us. I know you're very busy. You've indicated that 2021 is a very important year for the ICT development community because of the World Telecommunication Development Conference. What is the significance of the conference and what should the ICT community expect from it? And how will it define the outlook of the next four years of the digital development agenda? And can you please elaborate what the heck is the Road to Addis series, how this is linked to, to use the UN lingo, WTDC 21, I guess that's the shorthand for this World Telecommunication Development Conference in 2021, WTDC 21. So what does Road to Addis mean? This is like a trivial pursuit question or a question on Jeopardy. What is Road to Addis? <laughs> for $200, please. The Road to Addis piece is a public piece that will focus on different aspects of what it's going to take to bridge the digital divide. So we're doing a series of seven events in the run-up to the WTBC, and we will close it out in September and bring the results of that series to the General Assembly. But 2021, it, it is a big year because we have this World Telecommunications Development Conference. The conference only happens once every four years. And the result of the conference is the roadmap, the action plan for the next four years. And this conference, I believe, has never been more important thanks to COVID and thanks to the importance that the world has placed on digital technologies. We've never had world leaders, CEOs, the whole world is looking at digital and understanding that we have this huge gap. And so we have this incredible opportunity to leverage the attention that everyone has placed on this issue and the understanding that this is a need. For so many years, we've been fighting people saying, you know, government saying, well, this is a luxury thing. This is a nice to have. This is essential. And COVID has really made the case for it being essential. I agree. 
I agree. Yeah. And I think we're never going to achieve the sustainable development goals. We have nine years to achieve those 17 goals unless we close the digital divide. So we got to get it done. So this conference will be resulting in a digital development action plan. We're focused on connecting the unconnected. And we're looking at new ways to engage and bring in other stakeholders as we advance the preparatory process. Youth is a big focus, and that's kind of a new feature for this conference. And so we want to hear from the voices of young people. We don't want to tell them what we think they should do. We want them to tell us what they need and what we should be doing. So it's an exciting opportunity. This is our big moment. I think all eyes are focused on this conference and how we can come together and develop solutions, not just resolutions and declarations, but that we can develop solutions and concrete actions that can make an impact in closing the digital divide. So let me make an offer, a serious offer to you, Doreen. So I'm prepared, since we're going to be stuck on Zoom in our basements for a while longer, I'm prepared to host some kind of a public webinar for you and some key stakeholders of the ITU later this spring. So Owen, who's helping me with this, is going to keep me honest. And your your colleague will keep me honest. There'll be our witnesses and the listeners of this podcast will be keep me honest. But let's do something, a public event for you Let's find a time in March or April at the latest to do something, given that kind of you're working towards September. And I'll be good to help you with this because I think there's a, an enormous in Washington where I sit and live and think, you know, there's going to be a bipartisan interest and agenda on closing the digital divide. I think if you sit in like where are kind of an overlap between Republicans and Democrats, it's going to be on this digital issue. So I actually think doing more stuff in Washington is going to be important. I also am going to actually go read all these reports now that you've told me, you know, where they are. And I'm going to have you tell me again where on the website is for our listening public. So let's do this. Doreen, this is great. Let me start from where I began, which is that we need a thousand people like Doreen Bogdan Martin to make careers in the multilateral system. There are 200 multilateral organizations. These institutions matter. They're standard makers, they're solution providers, they're conveners, they're burden sharers. ITU is an example of bringing together technology, expertise, diplomacy, and development to solve what has become a far more salient issue than 18 BC before COVID from 18 months ago. So what Doreen's doing and what the ITU is doing and the WTDC conference is a hell of a lot more relevant than it was 18 months ago because we're all sitting in our basements on Zoom. And guess what? Everyone in the developing world is sitting on their basements on Zoom too, or, you know, or something like that. And this digital divide is going to get solved. And so the question is, who's going to solve it under what standards and what rule set? And is it going to be with democratic values or not so much democratic values? So Doreen, thanks for being here. Let me give you one last shot at, okay, if you want to go learn more about ITU, where do you go, Doreen? Thank you, Dan. So you go to www itu.int, and then you click on ITUD for development. We have a publications link there and happy to share with you specific links afterwards, Dan. And just to say in September, our road to Addis will wrap up, but the development conference starts on the 9th of November in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And it's the first time that the conference will be held on the African continent, a continent which needs connectivity badly. Well, Doreen, thanks so much. This is great. 
I appreciate you taking the time. I'll make good on my commitment to you to host a public webinar for you to raise awareness with a in addition to the podcast in March or April, no later than that. Owen's going to keep me honest. And let's do this, okay? Thanks for your time, Doreen. Thanks for your public service. International service is public service. So thanks for all that you've done for the world. And thanks for being a U.S. citizen to kind of take off your U.S. citizen hat and take a laissez-passe to work for the broader good of the world. Thank you for doing this. Thank you very much, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 